Welcome to Tuesday Talbin Tips on Inside the Talbin Approach podcast. Today's episode is a continuation from last week's Tuesday Talbin Tips featuring John Bloomfield. Be sure to visit our website, GalanskyInstitute.org. There are so many exciting features there to explore and to share. Please share this podcast with your friends and family and people that are interested in playing freely and brilliantly, regardless of where they're at in their piano journey. Let's get into today's episode. Let's move to the next question. And someone wrote in to discuss the left hand in Chopin Nocturne, Opus 27, number one. Uh, it's such a beautiful piece, and it, it isn't that fast, but I would say that the opening does present problems, and uh, problems that reflect an issue that you heard discussed earlier, which was the issue of stretching. You know, if you move your hand, move your fingers in their normal position, they move up and down freely. Once those fingers are stretched and you try to move them up and down, they don't move nearly as freely. And that's one reason that we will always avoid a stretchy situation. We have movements to get us beyond stretching, the rotation that you heard Bob talk about. And then we have fingering choices that help with stretching as well. So if you'll take a look at the handout of the Chopin Nocturne, and what I'd like to do is look at the editor's fingering first. You'll find that what happens is the five goes to a three. Now that's a fairly big distance between five and three, I would say, and it takes a lot of movement. Then you have the two followed by the three by the five. So you've got big distances built into that whole fingering scheme. I think the fingering is there so that there can be some kind of physical legato, but we very often have to choose a fingering that is not legato in order to promote the sound of legato, and I'll show you how that works here. So the first thing I would say here is that we want a fingering that is calm, that's easy, that's hand-friendly, and I loved what Edna said, that if the fingering feels good to the hand, the hand doesn't forget it. Um, when you're at home, at the piano, I'd like you to try the difference between five going to two over that opening interval and five going to three. It takes so much more movement to get the five to go to the three that you can feel immediately when you do that that the two is a nicer fingering combination. Now, once we play the two here, we've got a big distance between the two and the one. Now, you heard Bob talk a moment ago about the double rotation, and that is really the magic in a situation like this, because that double rotation allows us to get over that distance without stretching or pulling at all. For those of you who are teachers, it's one of the things that I would most look for. When you have a combination five, two, one, you can be guaranteed that in most cases that there's going to be some kind of pulling across the keys with that thumb. You can see what I'm doing there. I'm pulling my arm. Now it's not supporting the uh, second finger and the thumb is not going to feel strong when it gets to its key. It's not going to be able to control the sound well. So uh, if you don't know about the double rotation so much, we have a streaming uh, subscription service on the Galansky Institute website. There's information there. Of course, you can always consult with a trained Taubman teacher too. But that double rotation, it takes away the stretching and allows you to cover the distance uh, as if the distance weren't there. We say it absorbs distance or causes the distance to disappear. 
So I'm going to suggest a fingering to you, a strategy that um, we don't often think about, perhaps, but it's a good one. And in this case, it's, it's a particularly good one, I think. And that's repeating the thumb or repeating the five. And in this case, we're going to do both of those. So I'd like to show you how that works. Now, if you like the editorial fingering, if that feels good in your hand and you're not having any problem doing it, I would say go ahead and do what feels good. Uh, we're not here to tell you what to do. We're here to make suggestions about what might feel better when there's a problem. So what I'm going to do here with that two, I'm going to go to the one. I'm going to play the two on the C sharp, but instead of playing that three, you can see already how much my arm has to move over. And this is even with the rotation functioning. Um, if you have a fingering that's stretchy, the rotation itself isn't going to take care of the problem because those rotational movements would have to be so large that it would make it difficult to play the passage in any case. So what I'm going to do here, let me get back to the same place. I'm going to put the five on the G sharp, and then I'm going to repeat it by going down to the C sharp. So do you see how that works? I'm going one, two, five, five. Coming back up, I'm going to go to one, and I'm going to repeat the one. So now I have two very nice positions in the hand. I have this combination, G-sharp, C-sharp, G-sharp, with one, two, five. And I have this combination, C-sharp, G-sharp, C-sharp, with five, two, one. So I've got two easy positions in the hand. It's just that they're not being physically connected. And we'll talk in just a moment about how we can do that uh, with relative ease. So what I'm doing here is I'm going to go by five, one, one, five, five, then one, one. Now, anytime we repeat a finger, we automatically have a staccato. And you might think that it's strange to have a staccato in a legato situation. Chopin even tells us here to make it legato. But legato is a quality of sound. A legato is not necessarily a physical phenomenon. And so what we do when we can't connect fingers physically is we connect sounds. And what I'm going to do in order to connect those sounds uh, um, musically so that you hear them uh, as legato, the pedal is down, of course. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to match the sound of the C-sharp with the sound of the G. So it requires listening. I have to listen to what I'm doing. It's not simply repeating the finger. It's listening to the sound of the C-sharp and making it match the G-sharp. The sound of this G-sharp making it match the C-sharp. For those of you who are paying particular attention, you're going to notice that I'm doing something that Bob was talking about just a moment ago. I'm shaping, physically shaping. And what happens when we shape is that we allow the repeated finger to play at a slightly different elevation, and this tends to smooth out the experience for the hand and also for the ear if we're matching sounds in the same way that I uh, talked about. keeps you from feeling stuck. And uh, I would say that for those of you that know more about the Taubman approach, we have an overshape coming to the fifth, from, from the fifth finger to the thumb, and we have an undershape coming from the thumb back down to the final fifth finger. So we have an overshape ascending, an undershape descending. And you can see how that circularity repeats over and over. Now, because the distances are rather wide here, the shape is going to be fairly flat. And um, I would say that if you impose a shape that is too much 
up and down, what's going to happen is you won't be able to move across. It turns out that when you move too much in any one dimension, you restrict your movement in other dimensions. So I would say that what you want to do is you want to feel that you get to the right place at the right time here. You can see that I'm letting go of the thumb. Same thing is happening on the opposite side of my hand, even though you can't see it. You can see that the hand looks very calm in what it does here. So I would suggest that you try this at home. Um, you know, you have to understand first that uh, the staccato is not functioning in order to articulate the sound, but in order to move you across to the next place to play. And I think when I uh, think of staccato, that's the most useful way to think of it, that the staccato, the function of the staccato is to move you to the next place to play. So when you see me do something like that, you're hearing C sharp but the staccato has already moved me to the place where I can play the G-sharp. You're hearing the G-sharp with my five, just played by my five, but the staccato has moved me into a position already to play the next C-sharp. Um, I see that I may have been a little bit overly ambitious in the number of things that I thought I could discuss tonight, uh, and I've used just about used up my time. Uh, so I'll promise you what Edna did, that there will be something to follow in the next, next, next discussion. I'll talk about the Bach Convention then. And I would like uh, to thank you again for being with us uh, for this session, and I'll pass the baton back to Edna so she can say a few closing words. Thank you very much.